Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, February 5th. It's the news Canadians don't want to hear. Grocery prices are expected to rise in the short term. So do the high prices we've been paying to put food on the table highlight the need for more competition in our grocery sector? We discuss the situation with Sylvain Chalabois, Professor and Director of the Agri-Foods Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Dr. Ted Jablonski is our on-call family physician who joins us weekly on the program to cover the latest in the world of health and medicine. But Dr. J is more than just a family physician. He has vast experience working with the trans community as well. This week, we tapped into Dr. J's knowledge on the topic and asked for his views on the UCP government's announcement of a proposed new LGBTQ to policy in Alberta. And finally, how important is it to belong to a gym in order to stay fit, lose weight, or gain muscle? Is it necessary to belong to a club, or can you get results by just working out at home or keeping active outdoors? We tackle the topic with Calgary-based athletic development coach, Rich Heskiff. You know, you think that those higher prices at the grocery store are behind you. We flip the calendar into 2024. Although some indicators are saying that that might not be the case, that grocery prices expected to rise, and it highlights the need for maybe more competition in the Canadian grocery store sector. Joining us to discuss is Sylvain Charlebois, professor and director at the Agri-Foods Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Good morning to you, and welcome back to the program, Sylvain. Well, thank you. Well, let's before we get into to what you're seeing, and we've had forecasts, we've had the opportunity to speak with you, it seems like, every couple of months because it's been such a almost volatile situation with these prices continuing to rise and looking for the best deals. Uh, but before we get there, can you explain the blackout period that we'd heard about and why it's coming <laughs> to an end? Yeah, it's just an obscure rule. It's an unwritten rule, really. Nobody can find any archives about these blackout periods. Uh, so... It is, uh, it is a practice in the industry to freeze prices. So grocers would ask suppliers every year from November to February to freeze prices. And so, and the rationale uh, that I've been given several times is that during the holidays, it's too busy uh, to change prices all the time. And so this has been a practice. Nobody really knows uh, for how long this practice has been around. But it's been a while, and so typically you would think as a consumer, well, if they're freezing prices up the food chain, chances are uh, that freeze will likely impact retail prices. But it's not necessarily clear. Uh, In fact, the evidence points in the other direction. If you actually look at the CPI of the last 30 years, the most volatile months are actually February November and January uh, of all months. And the reason is simple. When suppliers know that they have to freeze prices for three months, they jack up prices Mm. in October and they jack up prices again in February. And we all pay for that. So blackout period is coming to an end. Uh, what, What do you expect to see now in terms of fresh fruit, fresh veg, the sort of healthier products? What is it going to mean for us? So typically this time of year, I would expect the center of the store to get a little bit more expensive. So all like the major brands, uh, branded products would actually increase in price. And so anything that's canned uh, in a box, pre-processed, coming from major multinationals like Pepsi, Mondelez, Procter Gamble. So I would expect those prices to be readjusted in February and March. Uh, In the fresh section, it's always a little bit uh, 
more difficult to predict, but we are expecting bakery prices to fluctuate a little bit more this year along with meat prices. We have, uh, Sylvain, had the conversation surrounding competition in so many different industries in our nation. And I think, you know, whether it's the airline industry or the telecommunications industry, more cell phone companies. And we didn't really have people even considering more competition uh, when it comes to the grocery stores until the past uh, couple of years, a handful of years. Um, How likely would that be and what kind of a difference would that make, Sylvain? Well, it makes me laugh when I hear Ottawa uh, telling people that they're dialing for discounters, you know, uh, it just as if uh, if a company didn't see, uh, saw Canada as a good market to invest, they wouldn't have done it already. I mean, seriously, uh, any company looking at Canada would have gone into Canada if they saw uh, Canada as an opportunity. The problem with Canada, it's a vast country. We're only 40 million people. Uh, interprovincial barriers are a nightmare for national players. Yeah, and you can talk to Walmart and, and Loblaw about that for sure. And so it's, it's really tough to attract anybody, really. I, I actually honestly think that the best bet we have is to see domestic players expand uh, their offerings around food. And I'm thinking about you know, players like Giant Tiger, uh, even in your neck of the woods, um, come co-op could actually expand a little bit. Uh, I actually think of Kushtal, Kushtal Circle K. I mean, that's nobody really knows, but Kushtal can actually buy Loblaws five times. Really, it's a massive, it's a massive business. They they operate almost seventeen thousand stores around the world. They can actually make some damage. They actually tried to buy Carrefour two years ago in France, and Carrefour is the seventh larger grocer in the world. Okay, so, I mean, for us, Sylvain, out here, I mean, I know you're not going to endorse one over the other, but do, do we see any grocery store that is going to treat us better? We just got a text in from Dave who said, Costco works just on a straight 12% margin. They're not gouging. Is it best sometimes to buy the membership to belong to, uh, you know, a, a grocery chain like that? Well, it depends on your situation. Uh, if you have a large family, uh, if you're not going to Costco, you're missing out, I can tell you. <laughs> uh, we have four children at home. We go to Costco regularly, uh, let me tell you, and we save a lot. Mm-hmm. But we have to be careful. Not everything is cheaper at Costco. So I, I think it's important for people to you know, keep a portfolio of stores and visit them once in a while. And uh, what we're noticing in our data is that Canadian shoppers, uh, including uh, Albertans, they're way smarter than two years ago. Like yeah. way smart, they're they're aware of where the deals are. They're shopping around. They share information. They're much more proactive than they used to. Yeah, well, you got to do what you can to save those bucks. Uh, other nations, I know that the supply chain and inflation, uh, just under the grips of the uh, you know pandemic and, and what the state of the world is right now, have had issues as well. But is anybody better off than we are right now? Does anybody got that correct formula to bring those prices down for consumers in your research? I know that uh, it's hard to uh, comfort consumers when when food prices are going up and and shelter costs are going up. But if you look at around the world, actually Canada is doing okay. Uh, In fact, if you look at the G7, Canada still has the second lowest food inflation rate amongst G7 countries. And that that includes the EU as well. If you look at the percentage of money spent on food relative to income, we had the sixth lowest percentage in the world. 
So uh, the number one, of course, is uh, is the United States. So we're actually doing okay. The the big problem that we have, uh, other than higher food prices, are shelter costs. I mean, it's it's expensive. Everyone has been hard hit by shelter costs, higher shelter costs, and and it's hard to compromise. Um, on shelter. Uh, so people, when they show up the grocery store, they decide to spend less. We asked it of you once before. I'm going to ask it again. Do you ever see grocery prices coming back down, Sylvain, to where we once enjoyed them not too long ago? I, I do wonder why people ask me that question, to be <laughs> honest. I mean, do you earn less money than 20 years ago? I think because I just, we, we all hope and dream, right? We want it to be true, but I think <laughs> the answer is, I'm, I'm, I know, is no. And, and, and why should it be, right? The, the, the problem with campaigns like uh, Greedflation and, and Jackman Singh saying that uh, profits are bad is that we've demonized inflation. We need inflation in the economy. I mean, we need things to go up in price over time at a reasonable rate. That's the problem right now. At 5%, it's too much. But, but prices the won't drop. The sweet spot for the food inflation rate is 15 to 2.5%, and we expect to get there by the end of this year. Okay, so summarily, but I was going to say, I want to play devil's advocate, Sylvain, because, yes, we all make more than we did 20 years ago, but it took 20 years to get it to this point, not three years like we've seen those prices jump. I know. Well, I mean, cars aren't the same price as 20 years ago either. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything goes up in price, and that's it. So that's why you need inflation to grow the economy as much as possible. So it's important to stabilize prices and to maintain. I mean, ask Jeff. As Japan, they were experiencing deflation for 25 years, and look at what's going on. Like, a lot of things are worthless now in Japan. So that's not what you want. You want, you know, a sustainable, reasonable rate of inflation, including food. We always love talking to you. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Sylvain. All right, take care. Sylvain Charlebois, professor and director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Here's a quote. Amid the syrupy statement of support and unconditional love, Premier Danielle Smith has made an aggressive attack on the medical care of trans youth in our province. This is unacceptable. As part of the statement, Dr. Ted Jablonski made to the media last week on the heels of the UCP government announcement of a new LGBTQ2 policy in Alberta. As he does every Monday, Dr. J joins us, our very own Dr. Ted Jablonski. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. A lot of people may not realize it, but uh, working with our trans community is, is, you know, a big chunk of your main work within the medical community, correct? Absolutely. I've been doing it for more than 20 years now. So uh, tell us a little bit about the statement you sent out last week. You said you wanted to get the truth out there to dispel the rhetoric. What is it you want to sort of bring to people so that they understand the medical side of this story? So we do this with families. It, the, the whole notion that sort of came out from Daniel Smith is that a, chi- a child could walk into the clinic and would instantly be put on hormones, would instantly get surgery done uh, without consultation, without family support, without family consent, without... <laughs> and it's just not how the system works. We, are, we have wonderful guidelines, Canadian guidelines. We have world international guidelines that we all follow. And they're very systematic. They're very step-by-step. Patients are referred to me. They have family docs or they have psychologists, counselors involved. Before I ever see them, I see them. We work through a systematic process. 
Um, so nothing is haphazard. We are re- regulated. We have guidelines, and that's what we follow. Uh, and, and that's the reality. of So a political party telling us what we can or cannot do, banning therapies that are extremely useful is not helpful at all. Severely restricting therapies really doesn't help and could be extremely detrimental. I believe we know what we're doing and we're doing a good job. I guess that's another way of saying it. We are experts uh, doing this work, so let us just do our job and don't try to regulate us when you don't know what you're talking about. So is that a, a huge part of it, Dr. Jablonski, the fact that ethics surrounding medicine and medical treatments, nothing new there when it comes to ethics and, you know, some of the questions, but is it the players involved when it comes to discussing these ethics that the issue is? I think so. I mean, there was no collaboration. There was no asking anyone how the, the system works. Uh, there was just, uh, you know, this notion of the proposal, we will ban this, we will restrict that, and because we know better. Uh you know, why are we not collaborating? Why are we not talking to scientists, to researchers, to clinicians who actually do this work and set a reasonable policy if we believe the policy has to change at all? Um, so there was a lot of misinformation. The notion that under 18 bottom surgery is happening, we start a referral process at age 18. It usually takes multiple years. An individual wanting to have gender affirming bottom surgery is unlikely to get it before age 23, 24, 25. There is nothing happening under the age of 18. So the notion of we, we will ban bottom surgery under age 18, it's not happening anywhere in Canada. So it's just pure misinformation. And it just, it scares the public. It scares parents. It scares, and, and it just puts a target on youth, all youth, not just trans or gender diverse youth. I think all youth I think would be scared by messaging that the government mm-hmm. is somehow going to try to control who they are uh, and their their expression of any sort. Uh, you know, and that's the big part, right, is that to just kind of reiterate, this is all done through consultation with parents, with family, with doctors, with psychiatrists and psychologists. Nothing gets done without going through a proper process. So how harmful do you think this legislation could ultimately be to particularly our trans youth? This could be extremely harmful, particularly with the the onset of uh, puberty blockers, um, putting an age restriction and only allowing it to be at age 16 or 17. Most puberty is already yeah, you've missed the boat. too advanced. It's too late. Uh, so it really essentially takes that off our hands. The puberty blockers are in, theoretically are, are completely reversible. We use them to to put a a hold on puberty to stall things out so we do have time to work through things so families have time to adjust to 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 make sense out of all of this and then we make decisions moving forward after that if we take away that uh, that medical intervention we're we're asking for trouble in these youth puberty is an incredibly difficult time for all youth gender diverse youth uh, if somebody's body is defying them because they're going through puberty, it's all going in the wrong way. This is a time of significant anxiety, depression, acting out, um, you know, suicidality, suicide attempts, um, all kinds of badness happens. It doesn't mean every youth needs or, or is even appropriate to have puberty blockers, but that's a strategy that can be extremely useful. And if we get that taken away, that, that you know, by a by government restriction, it's completely arbitrary. That really doesn't help us. It really handcuffs us medically. 
There is a, a very much camps involved uh, when it comes to this discussion, and uh, it's uh, fairly new in the uh, discussion in the past week or so. So, do you believe that these uh, proposed changes will go through, or will there be enough of an upswell from the, you know, uh, uh, medical community and experts like yourself, Dr. J, and those people who are in this world? I sure hope so. Um, I mean, we medically are trying to put together a, a reasoned approach. Uh, Canadian Pediatric Society has sent a letter. Um, to the premier, which is really, really well written, is very, um, it, it, it's really strong and it really says, here's our science, here's why we do what we do, here's what we need to go. So hopefully we can we can rise above this and, and talk some sense and maybe come, uh, you know, the, the, to some kind of compromise moving forward where we, we have a say in what kind of guidelines are truly appropriate. Again, perhaps we do have to evolve our care. Perhaps we, you know, have to look at our, our standards of practice, our guidelines. Um, and that's fair. We are scientists. We are medical people who want to do the best work. But, you know, don't impose things. Don't ban things. Let's talk and make the right decisions moving forward. Great text um, from Darren who who just texted in to say, you know, it's, it's great to hear from a doctor and a doctor who lives in this world and treats, you know, the people that we're talking about, the humans that we're talking about here, our family members. So thank you so much for, for kind of breaking it down for us, Dr. J. Always appreciate chatting with you. Okay, you betcha. Thank you, Dr. Ted Jablonski is our on-call family physician. Hey, how important is it to belong to a gym in order to stay fit, lose weight, or, or even gain muscle? Is it necessary to shell out the 50 75 or even $100 per month to belong to a gym? Or can you see results by working out at home or keeping active outdoors? To discuss, we're joined by Rich Hesketh, a Calgary-based athletic development coach. Good morning to you, Rich. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for, for being here with us. Yeah. Now... I can understand working out indoors exclusively with weather like we were witness to over the weekend is one thing, but it, we're talking in general terms here, Rich. Do I need to have a gym membership to see results? Not necessarily. Um, I think that's a personal preference for a, lo a lot of people. Um, I think at the end of the day, if you can reframe things as an active lifestyle isn't something that you do, it's something that you are. Um, it precludes that you even need to go to a gym. Um, so outdoor activity, indoor activity, it, it's all a matter of what your preference is to do. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I don't own a gym mem membership. I mean, I'm in the industry, um, so I can kind of work out wherever, wherever I need to or wherever I want. But um, even a few things just down in your basement, um, getting outside obviously is going to be your best. But I mean, in this weather... You know, put your crampons on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, for sure. But be safe, for sure. But yeah, I think activity when it comes to um, being outdoors or or just having a routine of something you would do at home. Um, quite honestly, there are days when I get home from work and well, I get a little something in, so I rip down to the basement and, and do a little bit of work down there. And I've got my workout in. It's it doesn't mean I have to go to a gym. Um, there is the social aspect, though. So right. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of people who find that support system important, um, and that's that's an important part of it as well. Because you're going to meet some friends, you're going to meet some new people, and you're going to have some people who who will support you in that environment. So it's a matter of where you place your value on it, and and if a gym membership is something that's going to help you then go for it. If, if, if you're not into that, 
that doesn't mean you're not going to reach your fitness goals because there's a lot you can do away from it. So you kind of touched on it a bit, Rich, but if we are working out at home, you know, what sorts of equipment would you recommend? A couple of basic things. Do we need a big expensive treadmill because maybe in the snowy weather we can't get outside? O- only if you like running. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, you know, the, the things you like to do are the things that you should be doing or, or are likely to do. Um, f- for me, don't ask me to get into a swimming pool because <laughs> for me, it, that's a related to being injured. Um, so, I, I mean, I will and I do, but it's not something that I love to do. Um, but, you know, if you like running, absolutely. I mean, we, we grabbed a treadmill, sort of a just something not huge, not massive, not super expensive. And we've had the darn thing in our basement for 20 years. And we can we can use it as we need to. You don't put on the mileage that you do. You don't need uh, a massive industrial style mm-hmm. treadmill. You can get some of the lighter weight ones for home purposes only. And they're not so crazy expensive nor... Um, but again, it's it's a worthwhile investment if it's something you like to do. Some people prefer a stationary bike. Some people prefer an elliptical. And those are all things you can do. The, the key with it is it something that you like to do so it doesn't end up as a laundry rack in your basement, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How many people at home? Yeah, it's like you're looking at my elliptical in my basement right now. You <laughs> might have been spying on a lot of Calgarians. Uh, let's talk about this because I know that, you know, something, if you spend time around Rich, you know that he can, again, find a way to do a workout anywhere with any piece of equipment. But your own body weight in, in calisthenics, I think that is fantastic because when we talk about shelling out bucks, we all have bodies. Yes. And unfortunately, some of us have weight. Uh, some of uh, us have more body than other body. people. <laughs> so so <laughs> how, how important is it to learn these basics like the push-ups and, you know, some of these different things we can do? Yeah, that's that's critical, actually, if, if you can learn how to do some of the really the basic movement patterns. And, and typically in fitness, we can break it into seven movement patterns. So there's squatting, there is lunging, there's planking, uh, there's pushing, pulling, Um, and rotating and hinging. And if you think of those seven movement patterns and learn how to do them properly and well, there's really nothing that you can't do. Um, And, okay, maybe you are carrying more body weight than you would like, but to your advantage, that's more weight that you can use to get strong. (laughs) I like that. Right? So, I mean, there's advantage, disadvantage, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe you're not going to be that great at, at doing your aerobic capacity work or cardio as it's called right but at the end of the day it can help you get stronger so single leg double leg uh, single arm double arm push-ups and pulls and things like that are all activities you can do without necessarily that much equipment if you have something hanging that you can hold on to 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 do some pulling that's usually easier Um, but that doesn't mean if you don't have it that you you can't do it Um, So it's just a matter of being trying to be creative within those constructs, learn how to do them properly. And there's lots of information out there. If you need some some serious instruction, then bring someone in for a quick, hey, you know, how do I do this properly? Get them to help you with that technique and then work, go away, work on that technique and maybe come back and and try it again. And that might be a friend who has an experience in it, It might be a trainer, Um, it might be something you see online, Mm -hmm. right? So there's a lot of really good information out there. What gets difficult is trying to disseminate between what's good information and what's not good information. If something looks a little too good to be true, it probably is. And if you can stick to the basics and some essentially the rudimentary stuff that you know is out there, 
learn those properly, get really good at them, and then you're on the right track. I believe mind, body, spirit all kind of has to come together when you're doing anything that's, you know, a program and you really want to be better and get better and get fit and healthy. Um, and this is Motivational Monday, obviously. Yeah. So I know you've got some motivational tips to pass along to our listeners right. in order to help stay on track or get back on track, maybe in some cases, right? Sure thing. And I mean, like I said, the, the second Friday of after New Year's is Quitter's Day. And wow. it's called that Jeez. because 80% of North Americans give up on their resolutions at that, that quickly. Yeah, so that was January 12th this year. So we're already a few weeks past that or mm-hmm. a couple of weeks past that, which doesn't mean it's a total disaster, <laughs> right? You can still get yeah. back on track. Um, but I think it's important at this time is to really look at what your goals are and, and ask yourself three questions. Um, is it measurable? Because if without being able to measure it, so it, like running is always a good one because I like to run a 10K. When you cross the line of running 10K, you know you've run a 10K. Mm-hmm. So checkbox, right? Um, is it something that uh, when you achieve it, like imagine yourself achieving it, does that give you pleasure? Like not doing it because the work is hard. There's no question. Yeah. But if you were to achieve the goal that you have, is that something that you get really excited about? Because your brain's going to push you toward that. If it's something is like, eh. Or somebody's trying to tell you you yeah. should right. do, it's not yeah. your own. And one of the worst things you can do is shoot on yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, you should, like, I should be doing, I should be, no, it's something that you are, not something that you do. Okay. And then uh, can you take immediate action on that goal? So can you talk to somebody? Can, again, can you look online to see sort of what are the activities you can do? Is Do you have friends who, who will support you in this? And And can you... Or read a book or, or read an article or something that is of your interest. Because if, those, if you can check those three boxes, you give yourself more of a chance. Got some points to stay on track or get back on track. We went through point number one and kind of ran out of time the first segment. So we got more time with you. Happy to have you. And I got one question that came in on the text line for you. Rich put okay. it to you this morning. It's from Roger. It says, my problem is motivating myself to actually get out of the house and do something like walking or running or anything. How do you overcome that kind of non-motivation? <laughs> well, again, well, that's actually, Roger, that's a great question because I think a lot of people have that question. Um, again, that's, that's the motivation will come by the idea of your goal. So if you're thinking, don't think of the kind of work that it takes to get there. Think of what the end result's going to be. So a lot of times when you're, when you're thinking about goal achievement, you almost have to look past the goal and look to the celebration of what you were and what you are by attaining that goal. Right. And, and once you sort of establish that as, as your go-to, that's, that's who you are. So it becomes, it's not the motivation of, oh God, like, I'll have to, I'm sure I have trouble getting up and, and getting up to do something, but when it's, when it's who I am, it's, it's a whole lot easier mm. than what I have to do. Mm-hmm. And to that end, if, if the goal if the goal exceeds that and makes gets you excited about it, that's one of the things that's it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to do it because at the end of the day, it's it's kind of this delayed gratification, right? Right, so, right, right. You know, you don't want the Oreo cookie right now, but if you wait a couple hours, you can have two, right? So let's go for two Oreo cookies and just instead of the one. 
Nice. I like that thinking <laughs> a lot. Uh, let's. Uh, we don't have a ton of time, but we wanted yeah. you to, to stay with us to talk about you know some more of your motivational tips and tricks to get us moving forward today and beyond. So uh, we don't have a lot, but we've got, you've got a lot. So trying to get yeah, through it as best you can. Yeah, see if I can rip through some of this. Uh, first thing I or one of the things that I love to do is gamify fitness. So um, create games. Uh, you know, do something that you enjoy. At the end of the day, once we get out of high school, there's not very often you get a chance to go and play, um, and play is such a big thing. So I, things like the pickleball trend that yeah, we've seen, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, so fun. Right? So, um, you know, those are things, playing is, is a huge part. Have a community as well. So, um, you know, a social network. So that might be a friend who's going to hold you accountable. It might be a group of friends who hold you accountable. So if two of you don't feel like it, another one's saying, hey, come on, guys, let's go. Um, or have, you know, online connections where, you know, sort of the Peloton idea mm-hmm. or Nordic Track has, has got a whole community of people. Um, or even, and I've heard people who touch online with with a friend who's in another country or another city where they just they go on a video call and they go out for a run together things like that um have variety in your workout as well like when i talked about those seven movement patterns you you don't want to do the same thing all the time because you get bored of it right right yeah Yeah, so so mix it up and and i've heard stories of people put a yoga mat in in their house somewhere and every time they walk by it they have to do a different exercise that's i like that right so maybe make a list of seven different exercises or four different exercises every time you go by you know you do 10 squats or you do you know five push-ups whatever you're capable of doing you know throw it out there and go oh there's my yoga mat i'm gonna go do 20 second plank or whatever it is right um and honestly reward yourself right not with ice cream well probably not with ice cream and probably not with sort of the unhealthy stuff um but you you know maybe you know oh if i get to my my big objective i'll go to a taylor swift concert or like whatever like something that again would get Mm -hmm. you excited enough to get you out the door right right and if it's, it's external reward that's something that you can do Okay, and then for me, the last thing for beginners, give them a rule of thumb. Try and get three days a week in. So that can be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. But a big rule of thumb is don't try and train more than two days in a row, but don't take more than two days off in a row. Mm. So that's going to kind of put you in that wheelhouse of three to five times a week. And if you've taken two days off, so you've taken Saturday, Sunday, and you go, hmm, okay, well, I guess I got to do something today or I get to do something today, right? And then you do it again, you go back to back, well, I guess I get a day off, right? So reward yourself for those things, but have that kind of rule of thumb because that's going to keep you on track. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much for your time, Rich. We appreciate it. Get us back on track or get us started. Uh, Best of luck to you in 2024. Thank you, uh, thank you. Yeah, with all those athletes. Rich Hesketh, athletic development coach. You find out more about what he does online at richhesketh.com.